So for so many of us, the death of Robin Williams hit us very, very hard. A funny man who revealed the tenderness of his own soul on the screen, big and small. Especially for those of us who have struggled in our own lives and the lives of those people we love with mental illness, with depression, with addiction. I think we were hit especially hard by this news of his passing. Anne Lamott, the wonderful writer who grew up actually with Robin Williams, some of you know this, got on Facebook within like a day of his death and penned a very long, almost love letter to his memory. And in it, she wrote about her struggles with her depression and her recovery from addiction. And she quoted also a guy named Frederick Beekner, who some of you might know because he is a minister and a novelist who inspired our foundational small group here at Wellsprings, Wellsprings 2.0, listening to our lives. And she quoted him these words. It is absolutely crucial to keep in constant touch with what is going on in your own life story. And to pay close attention to what is going on in the stories of others' lives as well. If God is present anywhere, God is present in those stories. It is in those stories that God is present. For me, this is the heart of all spirituality. Paying attention. Paying loving, close attention to what goes on within us and around us. And some of you might have seen this last spring sometime, April, May or so. There was this little thing on uh, Twitter and Facebook, hashtag my six word story of faith. And so my first answer was this. Pay attention. Pay attention. (laughs) Keep on paying attention. But you know what? I thought that that didn't get kind of to the heart of what I wanted to say in only six words. And you know, uh, one small comma can make a difference. So I reworded it or rephrased it. Pay attention. Keep on paying attention. There's times in our lives when it's tough to keep on. That comma is important. And that's what today's Spirit Flick Selection is all about the fault in our stars, about the challenges and also the benefits of paying deep attention in our lives and with our lives. Now, many of you know this story. I've seen on Facebook how many of you have checked in when you saw this in the theaters. And so many of you know that this is a story of a teen named Hazel who has terminal cancer. She is not actively dying from it when we first meet her in the movie, but she will not grow up for too much longer and she will not grow old. This cancer will take her life eventually. And she meets another teen, a young man named Augustus, brash, but kind, confident, and cool. He, when we first meet him, seemingly is a cancer survivor. His cancer has gone into remission. And almost immediately there is a bond, a connection between Hazel, Hazel Grace as her name is, and Gus, Augustus. But almost as quickly as that bond is formed, Hazel starts to pull away. 
she says, it's for this reason. I'm a grenade. I'm a grenade. I'm going to die. My life's going to end. And I don't want there to be collateral damage of all the people around me and all the people who love me. See, Hazel is, even before her death, armoring up against the fear of loss. She's living a life on death's terms. And she's doing something that the great writer Brene Brown talks about, which is trying to beat vulnerability to the punch. Trying to beat vulnerability to the punch. Maybe you know what that's like in your life. But here's the thing that Brene Brown talks about. Some of you know this already because some of you are reading this book, Daring Greatly, that's going to form the basis of a lot of our programs and ministries here at Wellsprings this fall. If we try to beat vulnerability to the punch, we're going to fail. And also we're going to cost ourselves these things. Connection, love, joy, a meaningful life. This movie illustrates really well about how when we armor ourselves against vulnerability, we will miss out on so much in life. And what happens when we let that armor drop, how much of life we really can get. This movie illustrates two ways that we can tend to do this, this armoring up against life. One is worrying and the other is numbing. Any recovering warriors in the crowd here today? All right. I assume the rest of you are not telling me the truth, so. (laughs) Worry is that illusion that if we only try and control things enough, be vigilant enough, concern ourselves enough with what's going on, then we can just take care of everything. But it just ends up making our struggles worse. I got an illustration of this in my time on on sabbatical. I spent a lot of time outside, a lot of hiking, a lot of hiking on my sabbatical. And um, maybe you can see this. These are some of the fruits I got of my time outside. I am a redhead. Maybe you might know this too. Redheads tend to be physically very reactive, very allergic to a lot of things in our environment. And so what you see here, over on my right, That's some kind of poison something that I got on a beach hike. It was unlike any poison ivy ever had, poison oak, sumac, poison, don't know what it is. And boy, did it itch. And then I got over that two weeks later, and then I got heat hives all over my hands, and my hands swelled up. And I remember on the kind of the one night when the poison, whatever it was, was starting to go away, and the swelling hives started... I could have stayed up all night itching, worrying the rash. And in the moment, for a moment, it felt good. But I could see what my own thought process was. I was worried it was just going to go on and on and on and on. And that was making the itching worse. And there was no healing. I mean, we can rub our, not just our skin, but our hearts raw with our worrying and so to move past our worries and into what's really there what's really potent in a positive way in terms of what keeps us up and that itching kind of kept me up that night we have to go deeper than the itch there's a whole other side of this as well too which the movie really illustrates hazel is worried about being a grenade but there's a whole other character that some of you might remember from the movie or the book if you read it or saw it and that's the character of the author van houten 
Van Houten, who wrote this book that is Hazel's favorite one, Imperial Affliction. He wrote it about the death of his own daughter, seven, eight years old, Imperial Affliction. And she wants to know what happens to the characters in this book after the death of the daughter. And so Gus arranges it like one of these things like Make-A-Wish Foundation, you know, for, for dying children. He's able to arrange it that Hazel and Gus are able to go to Amsterdam together and to see Van Houten where he lives and, if possible, to get an answer. And what they find is not what they expect. Van Houten is not an enlightened person. Van Houten has no wisdom to give. He is an embittered, cynical drunk who does nothing but verbally abuse the two of them the entire time They're there. You can see in Van Houten what it's like when the heart keeps physically beating, but the heart has actually stopped. Hazel sees a representation of someone who is living life on death's terms. That starts to change her. We want to make her pay attention to what's really going on. And it goes back to something that Gus says real early on in the movie. The thing about pain, it demands to be felt. Pain demands to be felt. Now, maybe for some of you right now, right here, that's like a really present tense thing. Pain in body, pain in your heart, pain in your soul. So pain demands to be felt might feel harsh or sound harsh. And I still think Gus is right. Pain demands to be felt because we feel pain in the first place. Because loss is so great and the fear of loss is so great. Only because love is more real than loss. We wouldn't fear losing so much if we did not love so deeply. And so to start to pay attention to our pain changes us. Like this old story I heard from a Zen teacher many years ago about a donkey. Centuries ago in another land and there's this donkey that will not work. This donkey that will not be motivated to do the donkey's job. This difficult donkey has an owner who wants the fields to get plowed and the donkey to do its job. And so a kind of itinerant spiritual preacher, guru, wanders through town and says to the owner of this donkey, you must treat this donkey with love and compassion. Love and compassion will motivate this donkey. Pay attention to this donkey, and eventually the donkey will do what you want it to do. The owner says, okay. A couple months go by. Itinerant preacher wanders back into town, goes right up to the owner of the donkey. He says, ah, how's the donkey doing? Not working at all. The love and compassion failed. And so the guru, without saying one more word, picks up a two by four and smacks the donkey over a head. Over its head. And the guy owns the donkey and says, you said love and compassion. Yes. But first I had to get its attention. The meaning of this story is not go out and smack someone you love or yourself over the head by a two by, with a two-by-four. It's simply this. 
that if we pay attention to our lives and the lives around us, we'll find enough pain there already. Telling us, pay attention. So often life is asking us, do I have your attention yet? Do I have your attention yet? We know in these moments when we really pay attention with love, care, and kindness, and yes to our pain, and go deeper than the pain, that what keeps us up sometimes well into the night, what keeps us up can wake us up. And that we can truly wake up to what matters and stop numbing out and stop worrying ourselves to death, but really pay attention to what's at stake for us. Like the great poet Rilke said, perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love. I'm going to repeat that. Perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love wants our attention. And this takes us to another writer in the novel and in the movie. A real writer, not a fictional one like Van Houten, Anne Frank. Probably the most powerful scene in the movie for me. After Gus and Hazel leave, stunned and angry, Van Houten's den of rage and cynicism, they go to see the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam, where she hid until finally she and her family were found out by the Nazis and then her life ended shortly thereafter in a concentration camp. We hear the words of Anne Frank being read in this scene in the movie as Hazel, with her oxygen attached to her nose, barely being able to climb the steps, but she wants to experience Anne Frank's house. This diary of a young girl. And we hear these words being read. And they they end with the familiar sentence that I think pretty much all of us know. But I think they're actually much more powerful if you read these words in context of what she actually wrote fully in her diary. She wrote, it's difficult in times like these. Dreams and cherished hopes rise within us only to be crushed by grim reality. It's a wonder I haven't abandoned all my ideals. All my ideals seem so absurd and impractical. Yet, yet, I cling to them because I still believe, in spite of everything, that people are truly good at heart. That affirmation means so much more when we understand that there is real pain real sadness, and real fear out of which that hope comes. And Frank is an example of something we see all throughout our days if we pay attention. It's real strength. It's soft strength. Not prideful strength. Not arrogant strength. But soft strength. Something deeper and more soulful. So in my sabbatical, I spent uh, a lot of time on the yoga mat. I spent a lot of time being a student. By the way, the only place where the gender ratio was more skewed, me and my minority as a man, more women, the only place that was more skewed outside of the yoga studio was when I went to see the fault in our stars. <laughs> I sat all the way in the back of that theater. Um, 
because it was like all these teen girls. And it's like, I, I felt weird. I'm like, I'm really not creepy. I promise. Middle of the day, middle-aged guy by himself, you know. I mean no harm. I mean it. So here's the question I heard over and over again on the yoga mat all summer long. I've said it when I teach mindfulness. Those of you who have taken yoga have probably heard this question. Where can you soften? Sometimes in the midst of a challenging pose, Where can you soften? I'll tell you where this made the most impact for me this summer. When I did my first ever upside down handstand. Don't be too impressed. I was leaning against a wall so I wouldn't entirely tip over. (laughs) But I propelled myself up, handstand, full extension. And then my teacher asked, it was a private session, and where can you soften? (laughs) And I said, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) But I didn't say it that nice. But here's the thing. She was right. I was totally arching up and tense in my neck. And I actually could elongate my spine a little bit. And that is a strength pose. Trust me, if you've all done it, when you're standing on your hands. But even there, we can still soften. And the goal of yoga for me is not to get the poses right. The goal is to take everything I learn on the mat about soft strength and what that's actually like of not tensing, not numbing, not checking out, not worrying, and to take that back into my life and off the mat when I'm feeling stress, when I'm feeling pain. Because the truth is, when we really pay attention We know that all that hardening, all that armoring that is unnecessary, it saps our vitality. It saps our soulful strength. And what happens most of the time, just like every week we say here, the thing most basic that we need, our breathing, is we stop breathing. There is no real strength without the breath. We know after a week like this one that the world will give us All the reasons in the world to armor up, put on the defensive mask, to stop paying attention. That if we want to look at our lives this way, we will see nothing but grenades and minefields all over the place. We can look at life this way. But it matters, my friends, I tell you, it matters so much that we do not join the ranks of the armored and the hardened and the embittered and the cynical and the numbed and the worried and the closed down. So many of us have this past week been paying attention to what's going on in Ferguson, Missouri. I'm going to talk more about that next week. I'm going to preach on what is probably one of the most challenging and important movies I've seen in the nine years that. I've been doing this Spirit Flicks, and we've been doing this Spirit Flicks series, which is 12 Years a Slave. And so I want to talk more about not just what's going on in Ferguson, but the wider context. So much of what we struggle with is living in a fear-first culture, an aggression-first culture, an armor-first culture. But all the best spiritual teachers invite us to do this, not just within our own lives, but to change culture so that we might see just a little bit more what a love 
first culture is really all about. When we live armored lives, not only are we not paying attention to the God within us, we're not seeing the struggles of the other people around us. Some of you might have heard that Robin Williams' daughter took to social media to express her grief, her sadness, her loss after her beloved father's death. And then almost as soon as she had expressed her grief, her loss, her vulnerability, her sadness, she shut down her entire social media presence because she was met with a lot of callousness and cruelty. The world does not need our armor, not in the face of other people's suffering. But something else has happened this past week, and I've seen it for many of you, and it's inspired me. Many of us have also taken to Facebook, or social media, and beyond social media, just intimate conversations with the people we care about. Many of us have taken to telling our stories of struggle and healing and healing and struggle and struggle and healing and told those stories with even more intention. And we don't want, don't want to live a numb or anxious or worried life. And we want to show up. In this way, what we're doing is not presenting anything perfect. We're actually leading with our imperfections. But we're showing a real compassionate human presence that allows ourselves to be seen and invites other people to be seen as well. We pay attention in this way. We are a channel for healing. And so, yes, it's so important to destigmatize mental illness. It is so important to destigmatize depression. It is so important to destigmatize addiction. I mean, that's really, in a nutshell, what our whole addictions and recovery ministry at Wellsprings does here. But even more important, you know what we need to destigmatize? We need to destigmatize human. We need to destigmatize our basic being human. All our flaws and all our fears and all of our joy and all of our light. That's finally why I liked this movie, The Fault in Our Stars. Because what Hazel lives with, we all live with. We're all, all of us, even if we don't know the time or the date, we're all serving a life term that ends with a death sentence. That's the truth. But we don't have to live life on death terms. We don't have to armor up against inevitable loss. We can live more heartful, soulful lives. And there's a creature who inspired me to kind of go deeper with this over my sabbatical. And it's this little creature here. That's in Ithaca, New York, over a bridge, over a gorge, about 100, 150 feet straight down. And that's actually the outside of the wall of the bridge. And this little creature was just making its way across and every once in a while would stop and do a little yoga pose and bend up halfway through its body and just kind of seemingly smell, smell the air and then went back along its way 
walking the cliff 150 feet down. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, a Hasidic leader many centuries ago, said this. All the world is a narrow bridge. And the point is not to be afraid. All the world is a narrow bridge. And the point is not to be afraid. We can do both these things. Walk the narrow bridge. Not give in to the overwhelming fear we might feel. But instead find that soft strength. We will know something else. One of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings. And this little spirit guide. My little caterpillar spirit animal. He, she, it speaks to one of our core beliefs. Which is that each of us has potential for new life within us. Just as the caterpillar has the potential for new life to become the butterfly. But none of us absolutely knows the moment of the full change or transformation or flourishing. It may come like a thief in the night. It may take a lifetime. I'm even open to the fact that it may take lifetimes. And so it's best, my friends, to be awake for all of it. Good to be back with you. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our heart's deepest yearning. May we accept the invitation to pay attention. Keep on paying attention and keep on paying attention. May we grow hearts so wise that we can sense within ourselves when we start to wall up, when we start to armor up, when the defenses and the ramparts start to be built again within us and our own hearts lose conscious contact with this life. May we be wise enough to know when this is happening and know when we're numbing out, know when we're worrying ourselves to death and instead come back and come back and come back again and pay attention. Yes, yes, life is here. In this moment, all of us can contribute our verse, whatever our words are. But we can only do that if we pay attention. We can only do that if we open the heart. We can only do that if we remember again that the love from which we come and the love to which we head, it is real, it is here, and it invites us. Pay attention. Pay attention and be blessed. Amen.